Hey, it's Russo over at the Worst Seats in the House podcast with Anthony LaPanta. Join us February 17th at 7 p.m. at Tuttles and Hopkins for another fun podcast, plus dinner, drinks, and bowling. That's Tuttles and Hopkins, February 17th at 7 p.m. Hope to see you there. Robot umps will be used in AAA baseball. It's an obvious attempt to speed the process of using robot umps eventually in the major leagues, at least a way of trying it out. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about Gardy, Tovar, and Gladden. We're going to talk about Lavelle's upcoming trip to Beijing. Oh, my God. Good luck with that, man. Uh, We're going to talk about all that here on Chin Music with Lavelle Neal III and Roy Smalley. Roy has the week off, so it's going to be Lavelle Neal III and Jim Suhan, two Star Tribune columnists, talking about baseball and the Olympics and some other stuff. Our producer is Brandon Morton. Reminder, best way to listen to the network or the show, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod to see the shows as they are released. You can always go to TalkNorth.com to see our sponsors, our archives, and all the different shows we have, both sports, outdoor, and other. All right, let's get into it. Uh, Because of uh, the timing of our shows, because we wanted to get into David Ortiz talk last week, we're going to talk about the Twins Hall of Fame because we haven't really gotten to it yet. Ron Gardenhire, Tovar, Gladden, all going into the Twins Hall of Fame. Let's just go piece by piece. Uh, let's go with Ron Gardenhire. What's your reaction to him getting in? Uh, I think it was a slam dunk, and it's going to be one. Of, it's going to be a terrific speech with full of humor and full of, uh, full of uh, emotion and, and heartfelt uh, well wishes from Gardy. Um, you know, he probably was the most uh, probably the most energetic manager the Twins ever had. Um, of course, we we got, we're going to remember him for having some good teams, having some bad teams, and, and getting ejected from a lot of games, and always <laughs> having his uh, his players back, and always looking to uh, to pray a prank on someone when he had the opportunity. So um, I'm thrilled for Guardy. I thought that you know that was going to be a no brainer uh, that he was going to join a lot of the players he coached um, uh, in that Twins Hall of Fame. So congratulations, Ron Gardenhire. Yeah, and. In the moment, and when you're covering somebody on a daily basis, it's really easy to see their flaws, and it's really easy to hold whoever is in charge uh, accountable for not winning more, not winning a championship. Everybody has, you know, there are no clean decisions in the sports world. Every decision could be second guessed. Uh, so while I tended to pick on Gardy at times, I completely appreciated his role as a great personality in the game of baseball. And I think what separates baseball from other sports sometimes, at least for those of us who love baseball, is it is a character's game. It is a storytelling game. It is a, a an oral history game. And covering Ron Gardenhire as someone who would sit there and tell you great story after great story about his entire career, uh, managing the in the minors, playing in the minors, playing for the Mets, playing in New York, it it was invaluable. It, it was as good it's as good an experience as I've had covering sports. Is sitting in Gardy's office listening to El tell stories, no doubt. And um, back in the days where we used to run into Gardy during a certain at a certain spring training watering hole, hmm, it was yeah, more, more stories from Gardy, which would just have you on the floor laughing. Um, the, the story about uh, playing for Charlie Manuel. Manuel was complaining oh. about how many games they lost since uh, Sal Butera turned to uh, join the team and Gardy yelling in the background, get rid of Sal. 
Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's just brilliant stuff. Um, and, uh, and he likes telling stories. He likes being funny. He's a nice guy. And that made everybody gravitate to him, players and media alike. Um, it's too bad. He didn't figure out a way to beat the Yankees, but you know, Rocco Baldelli struggling in that right now as well. So, but, uh, I, uh, I'm thrilled for the guy. I am too. And listen, you know, in a lot of cases, people's sometimes in sports, your best characteristics as a human being can actually hurt you as a performer. I th- I thought if Gardy had a fatal flaw is that he, he wanted to be liked so badly and he wanted to be popular so badly that I think he actually would calculate what the public reaction to a move would be rather than just making whatever his gut or his brain really told him to do. Gardy was a man of the people and that might've hurt him sometimes. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think he was always sensitive to how people were responding and, and how we, uh, how we may have fed some of that stuff on Twitter or social media. Um, and he, he, that's one part I, I wish he would have uh, had a different approach with at times. But hey, Gardy wouldn't be Gardy if he if he actually if felt he didn't that care. Way, you know, yeah. um, I, I I wish and you know I don't mind having a manager that goes with his gut. I do not want like a a, a guy a, a rule book or statistical analysis to be your guiding light. I want I want Gardy to be able to sort of say. And this guy was up all night with his kid. He's tired. I got to pull him here instead of like, you know, leaving him in or I got to bring in my, my buddy. So-and-so he's going to, he's, he's been on a roll. Uh, he's got a breaking ball that this guy's going to have trouble with. I'm going to give him a shot here. I had no problems with that. So I, I like guard from that aspect. Oh, I did too. And it, it, like I said, it was actually sports writing in the pandemic era is not much fun. Because we're not really hanging out together. We're really not hanging out in clubhouses and locker rooms. There's no, there are really no casual moments. And I think fans of other sports might not understand just how covering baseball, at least pre-pandemic, and certainly when you and I started covering baseball, it was almost all casual moments. It was hanging out. It was sitting in somebody's locker and just with the recorder off, just shooting the breeze. And it's amazing how many good stories would arise from those casual moments. And Gardy was the best at that. He was somebody you could talk to about anything at any time. Yeah, that was a cool part. When, when Gardy took over, we could still get in the in the clubhouse early. Like if you wanted to get a, a, if you wanted to meet a player at one thirty when the clubhouse normally opens at three or 3.30 before a game, you get in there. And they didn't care. You know, uh, you you got you definitely got brownie points with, with uh, TK by doing that. And it went on for a while on, with Garden Hire as well. So, um, yeah, the stories too. And it's tough too, Jim, because it's, it's hard to have a bullshit session with the manager now where everything's off the record just because of so many media people that are in the manager's yeah. room now, just because of proliferation of websites and online sites and, and just other uh, reporters, and you can't have uh, those types of conversations that really could be helpful for a beat writer, you know? Exactly. All right, let's go on to Cesar Tovar. You know, I wish we would have Patrick Royce on as a special guest for this yeah. one because yeah. he's been beating the drum for Cesar Tovar forever. All I know is that Tovar looked like he was a productive player. He, he, looked, like, he looked like a Bip Roberts type who, who would stay healthy. Who had actually stayed healthy? We at the point when I covered Bip, we thought that Bip was an acronym for body and pain because he was always coming down <laughs> with some sort of injury. But when he was going good, Bip could play all over the field and, and on an everyday basis. And um, Tony Phillips was another type, another player of that ilk, you know. Yep. Um, and Tovar was that guy. I think he played all nine positions in the field at once. I think he that did. Actually, let him do that. Um, but uh, that's pretty remarkable. You think about uh, being able to be good all over the field. 
Uh, yeah, it takes skill. Uh, it takes memory because you got to. And the other thing too, you know, when you're you're playing infield and outfield, and you're you are um, you're trying to track balls at different angles off the bat. You know, it's totally different trying to get a read on a ball hit as a shortstop than it is as a left fielder. You know, and uh, that stuff takes great instinct and great ability. And for Tovar to do that, that was great, and he did it for several years. So I know Patrick's been a big Tovar proponent, and he uh, he he's probably feeling vindicated right now um, that the, he's finally in the hall. Well, and I'm very happy to see this decision. Uh, not that he made it alone, but I, I'm happy to see the decision to Patrick Ricey. He watched Tovar. He knew Tovar. Uh, yeah. He has a much better grasp on that era of Twins history. So if Patrick says he's in, that's good enough for me. Uh, I agree. Let's move on to Dan Gladden. Uh, you know, key player on two world championship teams, longtime broadcaster, longtime figure around the team. Uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really break down and analyze Twins Hall of Fame candidates the way I do like MLB Hall of Fame candidates. I just think it's an easy call. Well, I, I think it's overdue. Um, when I first started voting for the Twins Hall of Fame, I was like, well, you know, he was on two Hall World Series teams. Uh, you, you look at the, how productive he was. It was okay. It wasn't great. You know, so I was kind of reluctant to vote for him for a while. But then you ha- I, I came to the understanding that the club Hall of Fames are different than the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Chris Hoyles is in the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. Okay? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's just because he was a fan favorite. And fan mm. favorites can't get in Hall of Fames. And Dan Gladden is a fan favorite. And he has now been a broadcaster for so long that he's been able to uh, have the dual – um, the, the dual role of being able to contribute to this organization as a player and as a, as a, as a media member. And I think that, you know, carries weight as well. So I think this is a little bit overdue for, for the Dalza man. And, um, and I, I'm sure he feels vindicated as well. And that should be one, that should be quite a speech uh, when uh, his turn is uh, comes up at the podium. Oh man. Yeah. And, and listen, I really don't think, they win the 87 or 91 World Series without him playing left field. Uh, I really think he his combination of gamesmanship, excellent defense, uh, you know, t- mental toughness, uh, wanting to be up in big situations. Uh, I, I think he made a big difference. Yeah, he did. He did. And he's good. He's he's been part of memorable plays. He bowled over the Atlanta Braves catcher, I believe, in one. Greg Olson. Right? Yep, Greg Olson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he scored the winning run in another in another one of those uh, big World Series games. Uh, you see Dan Glenn and that crazy hair of his flopping all over the place in some of the more memorable moments in Twins postseason history. So, and that and that and that means something, um, you know. And um, he was he's always been a great source of information when you needed to do a story about what it was like to be in the clubhouse those days, the personalities, the characters, um, and even now as a broadcaster, you know, sometimes you're arguing with Dan, other times you're laughing with Dan. It could it could be either way. You know, um, my favorite p- times with Dan are in spring training now because he likes to smoke a good cigar. And there is a cigar bar in Fort Myers. And there are times where uh, when T- Chili Day was, was with the Red Sox, it would be me, Chili, and, 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 and Dan Glatton. And I would just sit there and shut up and let these guys talk about hitting because it was just a fantastic conversation. And that's one thing about Dan, as you alluded to, uh, when you – if you walk into the press box and Dan has any issue with anything you've said or written, uh, he's going to bring it up. He is, no, he, yeah. he has that. He's going to challenge you every single day. Even if he likes you, he's going to challenge you. Well, I'm going to say this, you know, uh, the only reason Dan Gladden is the reason why 
I called the Twins outfield of Torrey Hunter, Jock Jones, and then Matt Lawton, the Soul Patrol. Yep. Because he he brought it to me uh, as a suggestion. I'm like, man, I don't know if I get away with putting that in the paper. And I, I didn't know how that was going to just be received, you know. And so one day I just said, screw it. I'm going to put it in and see what happens. And the copy just let it go. And it started, it basically created a monster. Because after the Soul Patrol, the uh, the Polish people wanted their nickname. So they were called the Pole Patrol. Yep. And then the infield, you know, because you had Koski, who was Ukraine. Rivas was from Venezuela. Guzman was from uh, Dominican Republic. And and Doug McKay, which was from Florida. So they wanted to call themselves the League of Nations. Everybody had to have yep. a nickname after that. Uh, I still have a Soul Patrol t-shirt that Tori Hunter gave me. Because they actually had some printed up, and so, uh, but that's all because of Dan Gladden. <laughs> the other thing about Dan Gladden is, uh, you know, we were hanging after he became a broadcaster. We hung out a little bit. We went out, we I went out with Dan Gladden one night. It almost ended me. I, <laughs> I I I never again went out with Dan Gladden ever because I I just didn't think I would literally survive. He he is one of those guys. He can go, man, and I cannot. And I was out of my league, and I admitted it. I went out once with Dan in um, in Detroit in front of some seedy hole in the wall bar that I, <laughs> that only Dan could probably find, and we sat there and talked about baseball, talked about life, and he actually, when you get him in those moments, he's pretty great to to, um, to talk, and he's a hell of a cook as well. Um, he's pretty adept in the kitchen. I call his, I still call his wife Janice Saint Janice because she's had to put up a lot of crap from him through the years, and she's still with him. So. More credit to her, um, but uh, it, it's uh, they're quite a couple. Uh, but Dan's a fun-loving guy, man, and he's a pretty smart baseball man. And um, the Twins are better off for having him. No question about it. So congratulations to Gardy, to Mr. Tovar, to Danny Gladden. Uh, let's talk about robot umps and what this might mean. We're also going to talk about your upcoming trip to Beijing. We do want to thank Perfect Ash. Tell us about Perfect Ash, Lavelle. Well, my people keep asking me what my favorite cigar is. I love the Arturo Fuente Double Chateau Maduro. Uh, it's got a nice ring gauge. It's about a 50 ring gauge, which means it's kind of a fat cigar. And I like the 7-inch model, which is, an, is a nice length for me. And they have plenty of those available at the Perfect Ash, located in Invergrove Heights, uh, near Highway 52, not far from the Invergrove Brewery. And it's right next door to Anytime Fitness. So if you if you remember Anytime, <laughs> you get a, get a nice workout, go hit the treadmill, Get a workout shower and you walk right next door to the Perfect Ash and get a cigar. They've got brand new televisions. You can watch sporting events or you can play uh, music on them or, or or just hang out while you're enjoying the nice smoke. But um, it's under new ownership. And so go say hello to Patrick, the new owner at the Perfect Ash in Emmergrove Heights. And there's a good chance you'll see me there once in a while. Excellent. Uh, speaking of places we might see you, uh, let's talk about Eleven Wells Distillery. I am holding a glass and I, it has Minnesota 13 whiskey in it. You might hear the ice clinking. Man, I'll tell you this. Um, the great thing about doing these podcasts remotely allows me to drink while I'm doing them. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a glass here with the with the barrel-aged rum. It's rum that has been uh, cured in bourbon cast to give it a nice little uh, additional flavor. Uh, and actually, it's aged in either bourbon, rye, and wheat whiskey barrel. So it drinks like a mellow tropical rum with a lasting touch of the maple and vanilla from the whiskey barrels. And it's absolutely delicious. So I love the Minnesota 13 that Jim is drinking, but I also will recommend the rum. Thanks also to Pizza Luce. We usually do live shows at Pizza Luce. We had to skip one because of COVID stuff. Uh, 
in January. We hope to get back out soon. We will get you that date soon. Follow us on social media, either me, Lavelle, Talk North Pod, whatever on, on Twitter, and we'll get you that information. Uh, and we do appreciate those who show up for those shows and those who listen to the show as well. We'll get you uh, some more information on our sponsors here in a second. But let's go to Robot Umps. What do you think of Robot Umps matriculating to Triple A? I'm a little nervous about that. Um, I know people have talked about this more and more. Um, and we're also at the mercy because in, in this era, we have this damn strikeout box that's on most television uh, broadcasts of these games. And so people are drawing conclusions as to what a strike or, or is what, what is not a strike. And they're, it's fueling their desire to see some sort of uniformed, automatic, uh, electronic type of strike calling machine. I'm not a fan of it. I think there's some things about this game that still that still needs to be uh, up to the human element. This game is played by humans and is judged by humans, and humans make mistakes. And 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 for the most part, these umpires are good. I mean, yes, they see over 250 pitches a night, and they get between 90 and 95 percent of them. Sometimes, if they're on fire, they get up to 98 percent of them right. Now, you can argue that if it's 90 percent of them correct, that means they're screwing up 20 pitches a game, which could actually be bad. All right, I get that. Um, at, the, at the same time, um, I think it'd be even worse if you had a robot umpire because they tested in the spring training last year, the last two years, and there's been some weird pitches that have been called strikes by the by the robot umpire. So I would rather just I, I would like to I would like the umpires to continue to call balls and strikes. It adds another element in the game, and also you you wouldn't be able to complain about an umpire like Joe West or Angel Hernandez if you had if you had automatic strike zone. I think that's part of the charm of baseball. This is fascinating because, you know, Roy Smalley is considered, he's probably the most old school among the three of us. Uh, you know, old school because he played major league baseball for a long time, a long time ago. His father was also a big league manager. You know, he's he's been around this for a long time. Uh, you know, he's a relative of Gene Mock. Uh, I misspoke. His father played baseball. His uh, uncle, Gene Mock, was the manager is what I meant to say. And Gene, so Roy is as old school as anybody, and he can't wait for robot empires. He just thinks that it's something that, if you, that it, you know, presuming that the technology works, you can go from whatever, getting 92% of them right to getting 100% of them right and not having any debates over where a pitch is. Oh, yeah. Like I see, I think I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these people that feels like we got to get arguments out of baseball. I mean, I grew up when Earl Weaver used to run out and kick dirt on umpires. You know, I covered Guardy. I've watched Bobby Cox. You know, I've watched Lou Pinella. I mean, those are memorable moments when some of these umpires, when some of these managers go out and, and want to complain about ball and strike calls or, or, um, or, or, or other things. So I, I wish Warrior was on this week so he could talk about it a little bit more, just so I can get more of his point of view. But I, I, I just feel that for the most part, the majority of umpires do a good job, and they're usually click, clicking at a 95% accuracy rate. I, I think that should be enough. And once you start bringing in a robot umpire, you can't scream at a machine, you know? And what if, what if the machine's not calibrated properly? I don't know. I just I, – I would just like to – I would just like things to remain the same in that regard. I think I'd like to have a larger bag at first base. If it's going to reduce collisions and and um, between first baseman and runners, um, I'm glad that the Nets are extending all the way down. I don't know about the the pitch clock. We got to do something to get pitchers to speed up their delivery times or the, the how many how often they throw pitches at home. I like to see the the baseball address those parts of the game before um, we have to consider robot umpires. 
Let's uh, thank our sponsors. Memorial Blood Center is doing such important work. Ever know someone who's needed blood? What about someone who's needed blood once, twice, or even three times a month? For hospital patients who need regular blood transfusions, like some with sickle cell disease, having a blood donor who has similar blood characteristics is critical. That's why we need your generous folks from our local black community to step up and give blood with Memorial Blood Centers. Learn more or schedule an appointment by calling one 888 448-3253 or by visiting the website mbc.org. That's mbc.org. We'd also like to thank Better Edge. If you're going to bet on sports, bet with Better Edge. Uh, support them. Support the TalkNorth.com podcast network. Combine your love for competition, social, and sports with Better Edge, the sports betting exchange that actually gives back to its betters. Better Edge is a brand new locally based betting platform meant to connect users and attempt to add some coin to the bank. Completely legal and 100% fun, compete against friends, sports insiders, and yourself with Better Edge in a number of different sports and event competitions. In fact, you can follow me. My username is Sonny Everett on this platform to see what my picks are. Use code CHIN for a free $10 when you sign up by visiting betteredge.com. That's B E T T O R edge.com. And once again, uh, thank you to our producer, Brandon Morton, our sales executive, Karen Cleary, and Pizza Luce, host of our live shows. Hope to be seeing you at one of those soon. Uh, so there are other baseball topics we can get to, but I am very interested. You and I, similar backgrounds. You, you succeeded me on the Twins beat for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. We both covered Midwestern teams for a long time. We yep. worked together side by side frequently. And when I went to my first Olympics. It was my first Olympics was a winter Olympics. It was in Turin, Italy. And I was kind of shocked by all of it. I was shocked by the difficulty of access. I was shocked by the sheer number of hours you work at an Olympics, how difficult it is to work in Olympics, uh, you know, in a different time zone, uh, how cold you are most of the time. You're, it's a, it, it was really a shock to my system. These baseball writers work hard, but we work hard in very familiar surroundings. Uh, covering a Winter Olympics for a longtime baseball writer, I think, is kind of wild. What do, are you expecting, especially given what the challenges might be in China? I don't know what to expect, Jim. And I'm going to lean on you and Chip Scoggins and some other people who have been to the Olympics to, to provide some clarity. Because I'm sitting here now trying to figure out when do I write? Uh, when can I sleep? You know, it's a 14-hour time zone difference between here and Beijing. So how does that factor into how I, I report and execute stories? So, um, you know, plus in, I'm going to a mysterious country that's, that's, con that's, that's communistic and is trying to shut everybody down because of the COVID pandemic. And uh, we're not going to get a chance to kind of sightsee. We can only stay at the hotel, the media center, or the sports venues we're going to be at to cover events. Um, I don't I don't know how access is going to be. I don't know how freedom of movement is going to be like. I don't know if I can go somewhere and smoke a cigar. I don't know uh, what the food's going to be like in the media center. Someone said it may just be a McDonald's in there. Um, you know, I, so um, I just want to figure out a path and a routine that puts me in the best position to see as much as I can see and write as well as I can. And uh, I, I guess I have to just jump jump in with both feet and, and see how, how the water is once I get there. There's stuff going on there now. I mean, they're trying to fight off an outbreak in Tianjin, which is an hour away from Beijing, that they're nervous is going to trickle down to there. Um, they have no snow in the mountains. Apparently, they have like 300 snow cannons going on right now, making man-made snow. 
for all the skiing events and alpine events. So, you know, that 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 requires a different strategy as far as skiing on it that may that may call for different skis from the competitors. So I'm curious to see how that's going to work out. And because and you've covered Winter Olympics, you know how much winter sports means to this state. And I believe mm-hmm. we have 30 Minnesotans on the Olympic team that I we're going to try to follow as well as we can, including several on the men's hockey team and several on the women's hockey team. And I think that's absolutely great for the state to be able to showcase its athletic uh, prowess, you know, from Jesse Dingens and all these other people and, and John Schuster and the curling team going for back-to-back goals. There's a lot of good storylines there. I just want to, like I said, I just want to be in position to be uh, as effective as possible. Um, I'm probably going to try to pretend it's spring training again because anybody who has lived with me in spring training knows that uh, usually when I leave the house at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm not coming back till midnight. <laughs> and uh, yep. and uh, but in between, I find ways to write stories and get things done. So I'm gonna have to take that approach and apply it to the Beijing Olympics. Well, two of the keys coming to the Olympics: one is you have to be able to find a way where you can write on buses and get to your next spot. If it's whether you're going to another venue or whether you're going home to try to get a little sleep. Get on the first bus you can get on, write on the bus if possible, send on the bus if possible. It just saves you a lot of time sitting at bus stops, killing time. The other thing is I have covered an Olympics in Beijing. It was a summer Olympics. Uh, first time I got to see Usain Bolt up close. And oh, wow. I was there with Carlos Gonzalez, uh, our, our great photographer from Star Tribune, also my lead guitarist in my band. And Carlos and I... We felt like we were eating nothing but like M&Ms the entire time. Because it, it's like it, it's a, the Olympics can be really weird, because especially in a place like Beijing, where it's an authoritarian regime and everything's locked down. They don't want you just wandering around free. Um, we're kind of in a militarized zone and we were just eating crap, just whatever was at the media venues. So it was just just like chips and M&Ms and Coke. You know, that was our entire diet 90 percent of the time. And one day. Carlos and I were looked at it and said, okay, we got to find some real food one of these days. So, okay. So we, we like had a couple hours free one day, which was unusual. And we walked out and we went to like the coolest looking Chinese style restaurant. Uh, of course in China, they just call it restaurant. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it had, you know, it, was, it looked like a, a palace, you know, it was just beautiful. We walked in, uh, it was kind of fancy. We were kind of grungy. They seated us anyway. It's like nice linen napkins, really kind of a cool, fancy place. And we had no idea what we were ordering, of course. So we just kind of pointed at stuff. They mm-hmm. brought stuff out. Everything they brought out to us had eyes and was still moving. Oh my God. So we like ordered dessert, ate dessert and left because we just couldn't, we couldn't do it, man. We could not, we wanted to be adventurous. We absolutely couldn't do it. I will say I also did get, uh, one afternoon I took off and I went up to the great wall and that is, you cannot conceive of how in, you know, fairly prehistoric times anybody could build a wall that big. I, I, I really can't comprehend how anybody built it. Wow. Yeah. See, I wish I could get a chance to see it because I don't know when I'm going to get to China again. But uh, it's just a, a situation that the, the country's in right now. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, Rachel Blount is also going from from our yep. paper and she's a veteran Olympics writer. And she's already warning me about bringing snacks and things like that. And I just oh, yeah. before we taped the podcast, I just got back in from running errands. I just bought some some boots to wear and I'm going to go out and get a coat. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm actually going to buy long underwear, because if I go out for the skiing events, it's probably going to be cold in those mountains. And so it's going to be freezing. I got to be prepared to be out in that for uh, X amount of hours. So, um, 
I'm trying to plan ahead. And of course, the scary part, because I asked Rachel, I said, this hotel is going to have like a laundry room or a, room or a dry cleaners, right? And she said, yeah. I says, but she says, but what I usually do, I usually just bring 21 pairs of underwear. And I go, Rachel, my clothes are bigger than yours. I have to have a separate suitcase for 21 <laughs> pairs of underwear. <laughs> so I'm trying to navigate that too, as, I, as I've actually started packing today. So I'm trying to figure out all this, man, as I get ready to go down there over there. I mean, I've covered Olympics that were hard, but you did have like, uh, you know, the ability to wash your clothes or get a good meal. I've also covered Olympics where it's like going to summer camp as a kid and you're just not going to wash anything. You're just going to try to get through it and you're going to smell like a Frito by the end of the trip. Uh, China probably fall I, where what we stayed when I was in China. Uh, we had like just a nice little like prefab apartment. It was very small, but it was clean and it was fine. But Getting good food, uh, getting anything out of the ordinary was almost impossible. So bring like protein bars and snacks and stuff that'll get you through a day if you can't find food. Yeah, I'm headed to a vitamin store actually when I get done with this to pick up some, yeah, good idea. some vitamins for the trip. I may ask him about uh, some protein snacks and stuff. So and then uh, it's a 28 hour trip to get there. I think we were here. We're leaving. I'm leaving Saturday, January the 29th. I will not arrive into Beijing until 2 a.m. February 1st <laughs> because I'm wow. flying to L.A., spending the night in L.A., getting up in the morning, catching a flight to to Tokyo, laying uh, laying over several hours in Tokyo before boarding a plane, a plane to Beijing. And I just checked out these planes. It's these massive planes. They have like 75 rolls in them. And I think they have like a top deck and a bottom deck. I think there's a first class deck. It's on like a different level from where we're going to sit at. So, uh these are really big major planes that we're flying on uh, to get over there. Wow. Well, good luck with all that. Uh, because this is a baseball show, let's wrap up with one more baseball item. Uh, once again, thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. You know the deal. We have uh, Cheryl Reeve, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, John Krasinski, John Millay, Lavelle Neal, Roy Smalley, uh, more people that I can name. We've added uh, Mike Grimm doing a gopher show with us now. We also have On the Bench guys from Canada who do a, a, a Great show, and now we're doing kind of a podcast version for us. Uh, we keep growing, and we appreciate all the support you've given us. Uh, one last baseball note. Tom Hardicourt retiring. Tom Hardicourt has been on the Brewers beat for decades and decades. He's been, I mean, more than 30 years, I think. Uh, he's an institution there. He was also the guy who, uh, in the old days at County Stadium, Bud Selig, commissioner of baseball would wander in and he and Hardicourt would have a very loud conversation complaining about the Brewers bullpen. You ain't going to see that from Roger Goodell and other people. Uh, so congratulations to Tom Hardicourt. I don't know if you have any thoughts on Tom. Tom, um, one of the funnier beat writers I've encountered on the beat, tremendous yep. sense of humor. Um, not afraid to criticize anyone. I mean, I, I was in the, I was in a Brewers press box once uh, you know that the old one at County Stadium when Bud would yep. come in to get a brat, and those brats were good, by the way. They um, were. And Howard Tricourt would just start ripping Bud for some of the players in his roster, and Bud's yep. like yelling at, and no, Howard Tricourt's yelling at Bud, saying he sucks, and Bud's <laughs> dropping f bombs, and and I'm like, wow, is this how this guy gets along with the owner of the team? This is crazy. You know, I could never <sighs> tell Jim Paulette that one of those players sucks. And I don't think Jim Paulette's ever dropped an F bomb in his life. So it's just it was just weird to watch this um take place. But just watch the time over the years. I mean, he's been a state, he's an institution in Milwaukee when it comes to baseball. Um I it's just gonna be weird not seeing him in the press box when I when I go watch games there. But you know what? 
Uh, he's deserted. He's had a great run. He's a motorcycle rider, so I'm sure he's going to probably take some time and get on that Harley and tour the country some more, and uh, more power to him. No doubt about it. Congratulations, Tom Hardcourt, on a great career. Uh, congratulations to Lavelle Neal on uh, on his upcoming trip to China. I know you'll. It's Olympics are always challenging one way or another. I'm sure you'll handle it. Just lean on Rachel as much as you can. She's great at this stuff. Uh, so best of luck, my friend, and we will talk to you maybe when you're there and certainly when you get back. Yeah, it depends. You know, the 14-hour the time zone change makes it somewhat challenging, but maybe I may be up at a time I need to write so I could probably chat for a few minutes. So uh, we'll keep it open-ended and see if we can make it happen. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Lavelle, and uh, we'll be back with Roy Smalley next week.